Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. The title of today's show is Raging Bull Radio. Thanks to Derek Woodard for that on Twitter. I'm your host, Richard Reddy, but my friends call me Spanners. So, let's be friends. Welcome to our Belgian Grand Prix race review. In my opinion, that was the best sprint weekend ever. Which is a bit like saying your left hand is the best one to break. But I did enjoy the weekend's action. I threw myself into a full sprint weekend schedule. And I must say, I didn't enjoy the vast majority of it. So, coming up, we'll discuss... The return of Australia to Formula One. Ferrari on the front foot and on the front left of a McLaren. Have Mercedes finally got a package that they can go racing with? And does anyone actually know the rules of Formula One? We'll also discuss whose fault was it, that crash that signs caused, whose fault was that? And we'll discuss much, much more on this pretty ordinary episode of Missed Apex Podcast. We are an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. I'd like to give a massive shout out to Imran and Fasal and all the other Brits coming back from the Grand Prix. Thank you for your email, Imran. They endured the wet, but enjoyed their weekend. Here on the podcast, I'm joined by birthday boy, Matt. Two rumpets. Happy birthday, Matt. Oh, thank you. Give me side pods or give me death. I Well, I choose side pods then. And I choose Chris Stevens. How's it going, Chris? Hey, Spanners. You know, it was lovely when I went to Spa back in May. Just saying. Oh, because I'm just the kind of guy who goes and does work stuff at racetracks. Yeah, yeah. That's, yeah. that's how it be. And it wasn't raining. 
No, it was lovely. It was too hot, if anything. But, okay, well, we'll discuss that because I think the weather was just <laughs> the right side of interesting. And we've got from Denmark, our resident Viking, Christian Pedersen. Hey, Christian. Good evening. And I can tell you it was the exact same weather when I went to spa. Was it 21 years ago? Okay. And, but what time of year did you go? I think that would be more relevant to the conversation. I th- no, I think it was. I went to the race uh, in Spa, and I think it was around the same time, uh, 2020, uh, 2002, I think it was. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of discussion around whether, whether, whether this is the correct time of year to go to Spa for the weather. I don't actually think, Matt, that the weather played you know, too much of a spoiler for this weekend. And a lot of talk has been around, you know, does Spa have a place on the weekend? There's a lot of discussion around the safety there's a lot of discussion, obviously, about the, the inclement nature of this time of year in, in Spa-Francorchamps. But to me, this is one of the iconic racetracks in Formula, Formula One. It's unthinkable that we would not have F1 here. Well, yeah, especially because it leads to such very, very good racing in a very wide variety of conditions. And there are a lot of tracks that will be good when it's hot or when it's raining. Spa, if the weather, weather regardless is the kind of track, and especially, I think, with this regulation set, it works very well. You have a couple of big braking zones where drivers can make the difference. You have a slipstream that can help uh, draggier cars still make overtakes. And it's a huge and difficult compromise for the engineers, which we very clearly saw uh, the tale of several different teammates across the weekend as the weather went from wet to dry. For me, Spa is the ultimate driver's uh, circuit. It's one of my favorite Grand Prix to watch on TV. Uh, but the difference and the the reason why it's under threat is because it doesn't make enough money. Uh, and that is a very boring reason. And I think, uh, if anything, the Max Verstappen hype at the moment might be the thing that saves this Grand Prix because you get an awful lot of Dutch fans that make the, the pilgrimage over to Belgium, uh, especially because it's also like his second home race because he was born in Belgium. Um, uh, so I think if, if if they can cash in on on that, there might still be a chance that this Grand Prix can be saved. Christian, I just want to add that uh, a lot of Danes go to Spa. No, Danes are not the majority of uh, of people watching Formula One races. As I think maybe Spa or Sandford is uh, the closest races, uh, at least uh, getting there. Uh, but but uh, those races that hold that heritage and how can combine like both a, a dry track, wet track, and still uh, give us good racing, it just shows us why it's so important to have races like Spa on the calendar. I think. All right, look, this is for me though. It's it's not just you know any of the the fan considerations. I would want it with or without uh, Max Verstappen or or Belgian representation. It's just a good racetrack you've got a big long straight the camel straight obviously you've got the iconic eau rouge radion complex and then a, a beautiful straight down to that amazing lacombe section and, and every single part i could just talk through the track all the way down to the bus stop and you've got iconic corners that provide a good driver challenge and and good racing you know the turn eight uh what's turn eight before no name chris Oh, Rivage. Rivage, or like Rivage. depending on which map you're looking at. Like Rivage is, and I'm a bit of a hairpin fan. You know, I'm a chicane hater. But like Rivage is as good a hairpin as Luffield. Also, it is not no name. Even before it was sort of unofficially renamed Jackie X, it was often referred to as Speaker's Corner. And I will die on this hill. Okay, don't. Uh, can you die at 10 when the recording is finished, though? 
And, okay, uh, fine, but okay. I'm not happy about it. Okay, good. But it's, a, it's an iconic track, I mean, just for the racing, Christian. Like, I, I think this, this always provides interest and drama. You know, it's like Baku has that long straight into turn one, and that's like the one thing it's got. It's like that, but then with a marvellous racetrack afterwards as well. Thinking of Formula One as a, a sport that's gaining a lot of new uh, fans, viewers, uh, just a general interest. I think we hear a lot of this uh, classic corners or uh, this and this happened in 1992. And I don't really think uh, the, the the new group can use that for anything because everything's new. Uh, the way Formula One works today is uh, completely different from 20 years ago. But still, Spa just works. You see, uh, for instance, yeah. into just after Puhong, uh, I was watching during the race and you saw... Uh, Ricciardo was uh, was uh, gaining on someone in front of him. And you can just see how they went into the same corner in different lines. One went in there with a lot of speed to maybe gain an advantage mid-corner, and the other one was just going apex. And that is what you can do on uh, classic tracks like Spa. So yes. I just, yeah. you get another kind of racing, and that is if you have a heavier car, a smaller car, whatever, it just works, and the weather spices it up. So... I, can, I think this I can, was uh, it, some. Yeah. Some might find the race today a little bit boring because really? there was no uh, explosions or whatever. Oh, okay. Sorry uh, about that. But it yeah. did deliver wait, wait. everything a race should deliver, didn't it? If you really yeah. look for the racing, there's another example of uh, you know different setups culminating in a corner. I think it was Albon versus Gasly, and you could see like that the Alpines just had that that bit more downforce and grip, and not compared to the rest of the field, but compared to the Williams. And you know the Williams was catching it down the straight. Then as soon as you got to Lecom the difference becomes immediately obvious where Gasly was able to get the, the grip and get away. But that's brilliant, Matt, isn't it? Where, you know, you can get different teams taking different approaches. I feel like that ha- used to happen more, you know, in the, in the sort of 2010, 2011, 2012, where, you know, teams could take a, a, a radically different approach to downforce and then and see which one worked. Because, like, you know, Red Bull always went, like, more downforce, less high speed. Uh, well, yeah, I mean... <clears throat> Spa is a track where inherently you have to compromise. You either compromise your time in the middle sector and you're fast on the straights, or you compromise your time on the straights and you're fast in the middle sector. And all the teams, and and I think for some, like I believe for Hamilton and Russell, they made different choices about the total level of downforce they were going to use. I don't know if it's team-driven or, or driver-driven, but it's irrelevant. What's nice about Spa is it's so well balanced as a track. You can go one way or the other, and your overall lap time is very, very close. And then the track Mm. itself has the width and the setup and the different lines into corners to allow you to fight that battle. So we have a track that lets drivers be the difference, not just the cars. And what's great about it as well is that they play into different strengths versus qualifying and, and the race. So in qualifying, probably the higher downforce setup is more preferred, particularly because you have DRS down the the camel straight as well, which negates a little bit of the disadvantage of running more downforce. Of course, there's no DRS out of, you know, Curve Paul Frere through Blanchemont and on the run up to the bus stop chicane. So you still lose out a little bit there. That's the last bit. Yeah, the last sector, (laughs) right? Um, But then obviously you got that big barn door on the rear wing and you get compromised in the race and you see like Lando Norris was a complete sitting duck um, on the straight. 
If you watch the times during uh, the spring, the qualifying and the sprint itself, I know we had uh, the track was wet, dry, wet, dry, whatever. Uh, and that will, of course, make a big difference on are you going straight or are you going through a lot of corners. But Hamilton was consistently one second faster than uh, the McLarens in sector yeah. one. Yeah, sector yeah, yeah. two, Piastri was just on it. And sometimes he was 1.7, 1.8 second faster than Hamilton during the mid-sector. And then Hamilton caught him by maybe half a second in the last sector. That is a lot. And it also says a lot about the McLaren, by the way. Yeah, well, we know from uh, from interviews that the McLaren was always going to be compromised at this race because they're behind on producing the more specialized rear wings for different downforce levels because they were so busy just making the whole car that they put on. But what's interesting to me, and you bring up the sprint qualifying, I think that's perfect, is that safety car that came out for Alonso, I believe, which happy birthday, Fernando, you and I, almost the same, except for the world championships in about uh, 15 years. 15 years, years yeah. <laughs> Besides uh, was, that, you're almost the same. Almost the same. Yeah, in the hair color and the eye color, but okay. All right, Beatles. fine. We're not really the same at all. Thank you, Christian. Um, was that... I like you better, Matt. Oh, I appreciate that. Was it Piastri's lead... <laughs> With absolutely destroyed by the safety car, his big advantage in that race was in sector two, but he was forced to restart the race with Max right behind him, uh, coming coming into the last sector where this he was the never race. going this to be able sprint, to defend yeah. in the sprint qualifying. And I think it just makes Christian's point very well about how the cars can be so differently balanced over a lap and have such close lap times. See, this is why I'm about to defend sprint weekends, but this is why it's rubbish. You just said sprint qualifying, where it's not sprint qualifying anymore. That was last season. It is now a sprint race on its own. So I still, I prefer this. I prefer the, the qualifying is its, uh, the sprint is its own thing on a Saturday. So I watched Saturday, the, the sprint quali and then the sprint race. I watched that as its own entity and that's fine. I was still annoyed that having enjoyed the qualifying on Friday, so like, oh my god, it's another two sleeps before we've got to before we've got to you know see the the conclusion of that. And I sat down to the race today with my son and my brother-in-law, who both follow F1, yet they both didn't understand why the grid was different to to yesterday or how they finished, and and it just hasn't been communicated well. I don't think like how it's come across. However, that said, look, it's it, there's a few flaws with with how they went racing on on Saturday, mucking around with the rain. You know, why why on a sprint race do we have to be silly with fuel? If it's 14 laps, what, why can't they put 20 laps of fuel in? Is, is that the biggest, most critical thing? And then while they're going around clearing the water in the rain, it was very predictable that there was going to be, that there was going to be some water, that there was going to be formation laps. Would it have been so bad to put, say, mandate a certain amount of fuel to go in and, and therefore get full racing laps? Because, you know, 15 was already short. And then what did we get in the end? Eight racing laps in the end after an uncharacteristic Fernando Alonso bin into, into no name. I was thinking the exact same. And uh, maybe we should consider having, uh, f uh, I mean, the, f the amount of fuel we're talking these days is it's so little. Uh, so maybe we should have a buffer of always 10 laps of extra yeah, fuel yeah, in yeah. each car uh, to, to, to counter safety cars, whatever, especially the formation laps. Uh, and the formation laps on, on the official timer, it doesn't count. So it's like, 
did something happen here? It just said Very lap confusing. one, lap one, yeah. and then suddenly lap five or whatever. Well, I was, and, yeah. By the way, five laps behind the safety car, that was just too it was much, wasn't it? And I, I, know, I was watching it on the Sky Feed, very experienced commentary team, of course, and they didn't know what was happening. Uh, and we had to find out from the Slack group here, uh, patron Slack group, uh, who found out from F1 TV or, or other sources. So, yeah, that, that aside, I mean, Formula E have a good system where they can extend if there's safety cars. So that was my only kind of minor quibble, Chris, with with Saturday, because we were just sat around for a long time. And, you know, it's the normal faff with rain these days. But apart from that, the sprint, the sprint quality worked well and the sprint race was was pretty good. I still yeah. don't see the point, but it was pretty good. Yeah, um, I think the issue with the weather uh, as well is that because of the delay to the sprint uh, qualifying or the shootout, whatever they want to call it um men that they missed the, the good weather window as well and what we end up getting in in both uh sessions i think as well was the fact that we kept going until it was intermediate conditions um and and not using the wet weather tire pretty much at all and we're back in this position again where the wet tire is basically useless there's no point in having it because we're never going to run in conditions where you would need a wet tire and it's probably not so much an aquaplaning thing. It's a yeah. visibility issue. Well, you must know it's my birthday because not only do I get to talk about regulations no one cares about but me and three other people <sighs> on the internet, but also tires here. I believe there's a set period of time that has to elapse between the end of the sprint shootout, which is qualifying for the sprint race now, just to keep everybody up to date on how they've changed the language. And the actual start of the sprint. And you're right. The lack of flexibility there meant that they got stuck with the bad weather and meant everything took a lot, lot longer. But interestingly, none other than Mario Isola agrees with you. He's, he's like, if this is how it's going to be, we have a new tread pattern for what we call a super intermediate. Let's just ditch the wet tire entirely so we don't have to make them agree that it's going to be like this and we'll give you a tire that you can start out behind the safety car and not need to switch to enters which frankly he thought was ridiculous although a pit stop in a sprint race did make it more interesting let's agree yeah well yeah it did even though it was a little bit farcical in nature but look everyone we have started off we've had uh, 15 minutes or so talking about spa the conditions and the general theme of the weekend and i just want to say that is matt's choice so you can say to matt well done matt that was a good choice for an opening topic, I said, let's talk about the crashes first. And I've had to wait 15 minutes to do so. But now it's my time as we play. Whose fault is it? Fault is it? OK, this is my favourite game ever. So in Formula One, one of the most interesting things is when two cars come together. Obviously, overtakes are fun. But when there is an incident where there is a disagreement over which car can exist in a certain plane of the temporal time space field then the cars come together and there's often disagreement about whose fault it is because both drivers think they're not at fault but to me this is the core of the sport and i love analyzing it because you get to pause it and you get to play we are the steward and it would be much easier if f1 had a coherent set of rules around where you can and can't be in a corner but I don't think they do. And I think we can argue about what interpretations of the rules we think have come around. But to me, this is where the soul of the sport of motor racing exists. When there is that clash, when there is a disagreement, when things go wrong in a corner, 
we can argue about whose fault it is. And the first one we're going to go for today is Carlos Sainz versus Oscar Piastri into turn one of the Grand Prix on Sunday. And Chris, I would love to let you go first. I would I love would to. Love to as well, but I have a feeling we're actually on the same page here. Yeah, we you agree. and I are both correct in this. Yeah. But so, Matt is came wrong. to us with a take so hot yeah. it's melted my eyes. Exactly. That's why Matt has to go first. When someone's this wrong about a racing incident, then they ha- they get to go first. So Matt, please tell us why this was in fact Ost- Oscar Piastri's fault. No. Because I don't think it was Piastri's fault. I think he exercised exceedingly poor judgment. Oh, oh, then I, that's his fault. I would say, in my in my humble opinion, <laughs> if there was anyone about totally blameless in the matter, it has to be Carlos Sainz. <gasps> oh my and goodness! See, I knew I no, would no. melt everybody's brains. No, no, Chris, Chris, we're, we're in the, Chris. We'll listen. We'll listen. Really? We'll listen. Go on, Matt. No, please. Whose fault was it really? And this is where I have to preface this by saying. And I'm sure all of you, much like me, went back and obsessively watched both the onboards and the start, including taking pictures with my camera to make sure I could photographically document my chain of evidence here. But causally speaking, it starts with Perez, but it is doubly, and we get accused of being a fanboy here, but I'm definitely not. It was doubly Lewis Hamilton's fault the entire thing. (laughs) Okay, no, no, I'm listening. I'm listening. I'm listening with mirth, but go on. No, it's fine. Ruin the reputation of the show. Do continue. Oh, no, no, no. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be, because I, I know now what's going to happen. Anyone with access to replays is going to be heading back to say, like, wait, what? How is he going to defend this? And this hmm. is how it happened. Perez, starting on the outside, swoops over, probably trying to squeeze Leclerc, but he got too good of a getaway, and instead gets directly in front of Hamilton. And Hamilton, seeing this, has a choice. Follow Perez. But he thinks he's got a better getaway. So he swoops out wide, and there he picks up Carlos yeah. Sainz, who was coming to the middle to just make a sensible, I'm going to go through the turn and leave lots of room on every side because I know how crazy turn one at spot is. Oh. And he goes wide and takes Carlos with him. Carlos is, gets right behind Lewis, and this is where it all goes wrong. Lewis, seeing where Perez is and knowing his car characteristics, thinks to himself, I'm going to go for the cutback. I'm going to get on throttle early and I'm going to be chasing him up into Eau Rouge and down the straight. I'm going to use the slipstream to get round him. Problem is, because of him taking Carlos wide, Carlos is already almost in his diffuser. So the moment Lewis lifts, Carlos has to hit the brakes hard and that's what caused the lockup. And furthermore, that wasn't enough to stop him. He had to steer inside of Lewis. So now you have the two of them side by side going into the first turn while Piastri was about five car widths inside watching all of this happen. By time he gets even with Sainz's rear wheel, Sainz is well set on his path to the apex and and Piastri knows the direction he's headed. And then, and this is why I say it's this is doubly Lewis's fault, Lewis totally squeezes Carlos in the first turn. And that leaves no room at all for Carlos to give Piastri any, any, any extra room. And even at that, he almost did. So that's why it's Lewis's fault. The floor is yours, Chris. I mean, I, 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 feel, like, I feel like that's conjecture at best. Because Lewis, pictures. how can he possibly see? Pictures. How can he possibly see that 
Piastri is also alongside him. For me, the move from Piastri was a thousand percent on. He was alongside. He absolutely was. And it is science getting too hot in on the brakes and deciding to go inside on Lewis. He makes that a three wide situation because he locked up. Whatever Just- happened to Lewis and science was racing start things. And they went out of T1 and drove on down to a roof. But Piastri went for, uh, yeah, he was halfway up the side of science, but he went for a gap that's just not there in Spa T1. That doesn't exist. And I think he will be looking at it and saying to himself, I shouldn't have done that. I, I disagree. I disagree very, very strongly, which is fine, I guess. I think you've, you've made an eloquent case, Matt, and you've introduced some factors I hadn't thought of. But uh, if you go to, to my account, the last tweet I think I did was uh, was, was uh, screen grabs of, of this in succession. So at Spanners Ready. It's not, not tweet, X post. Sorry about that. So um, you look at the gap in front of Piastri. So before even saying it's Sainz's fault, I just want to absolve Piastri of any blame because he's got four cars ahead of him. Lewis and uh, Carlos are over to the left-hand side, and then Leclerc and and uh, and Perez are way up the road towards ten, turn ten, uh, towards turn one. He's got this huge gap in front of him. So normally you have to kind of you have to account for the concertina effect, break earlier, and just understand that there's things going on in front of you and be ready for that. And the further back you are, the more allowance you have to make. But if you're fifth, and then you suddenly look ahead, and the next car is actually P one. You've got this massive gap in front of you. And anyone, even in karting or sim racing, at any level of racing, no driver wouldn't go, ah, okay, I don't have to break as early as I was planning to because there is a massive gap in front of me now. So he went into the gap that Sainz and Lewis Hamilton had vacated to the left. So Sainz had started on the left, come into the middle, got all the way over to the left again, and had come extreme left, cut across Lewis's wash, lost some downforce, hit the brakes, relatively moved forward in relation to Hamilton and Piastri and gone all the way from the left, all the way onto the apex, leaving no room for the car that was now there that had the right to be there. So Chris, I, I, it's a valiant defence, but I cannot find any defence for, for Carlos Sainz just literally cutting across the whole width of the track and, and wiping out Piastri. At the end of the day, there was only one car that was locking up and out of control going into that corner, and it was Carlos Sainz. Okay. And he's he's jumped on social media and then in interviews saying, oh, it's 100% Piastri's fault. And this this is the difference between a driver like Carlos Sainz and a driver like Charles Leclerc. Because if Charles Leclerc had done that, he would have been beating himself up about it and saying, you... Yeah, stupid. You know, because you know how hard he is on himself. Oh, idiot, idiot, Charles, you shouldn't have done that. And uh, Carlos has just washed his hands of this whole thing. Last one on you, there, Matt. Make it, make, make it, make a final last stand. Come on, Custer. Well, it's really simple, and it goes back to experience. I think any experienced driver does not leave his nose in that situation. But very simply, as you eloquently put it, agree. They were three wide into that corner. And if you look at the picture right on the apex, you have signs in Hamilton, front axle to front axle, rear axle to rear axle. Three quarters of the way back, you have Piastri. He's the no. one who chose to make it three wide. No, no, Matt, wrong, wrong. And, no, Matt, and Matt, Matt, let me make the case here because it's wrong. Because you know, because <laughs> okay. Lewis Hamilton, right. Lewis Hamilton, and Carlos Signs were nose to tail. So Signs was in Signs was in Hamilton's gearbox. Yes, he absolutely was on the approach. 
Then he locked up and then he went alongside. The only reason he was three wide was because he locked up and went deep. This, is, this isn't controversial. He locked up because he expected Hamilton to stay outside and stay on the throttle. Hamilton lifted to get the cut back, and he had to lock up and steer <laughs> okay. inside to avoid okay. hitting I just, Hamilton. I just want to make one thing clear. Yeah, yeah. I want to make one thing clear here. Piastri didn't make it three wide, and Sainz was the one that locked up and made it you three go, wide. Go look at the picture on the Apex. I'll put it on, on, on what used to be Twitter later on. Go look at the picture on the Apex, and you'll see that Hamilton and Signs, no room in between them, and Piastri three quarters yeah. of the way back. It yeah. was Piastri's choice to make that three wide. Jeez. He expected Carlos to know he was there, but any experienced driver would be like, that's a risky bet, and he lost it. The only reason they were three wide yeah. is because Sainz had locked up and gone hard into the corner. The I think that's reason. the simplest thing. No, it, it was Hamilton mm. lifting early. That's why he Or maybe up. Ocon was somehow involved. Yeah. <laughs> look, I think, look, that's good. I, that is my favorite debate we've done in a long time because I, like, I think you're doing God's work, to be honest, Matt, in making that case. I think it's a losing argument, but it's certainly given me a lot to think about. And the panel is split and I respect the panel and we will have... I support Matt. I just want... Just, just for notice, well, it's a 50-50 spin. No, no. I know it's a 50-50. Right. We've got to start having... Maybe one of us should get two votes. I don't know. I used to respect you, Christian. What is this? The F1 commission? <laughs> oh, yeah. No, look. Let's just go to the panel of stewards. Um, hang on a minute. Panel of stewards. Spanner, Spanners gets 10 votes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, randomly, <laughs> let's see. Random stewards say... Oh, no. They, they say it was Sainz's fault. Oh, no. Time to move on. No, that was quality. That I do. I enjoy that debate. It's a bit long, but I enjoyed it. There's one more. Uh, whose fault is it? Which is Lewis Hamilton versus Sergio Perez. Okay, so quick show of hands then. Who thought the penalty was justified? I think there's two different things here. Who thought the penalty was justified? No one's putting their Not hand up. Not in the slightest. Who thinks it was predominantly Lewis Hamilton's fault for the contact? Uh, okay, Chris, but you're yes. kind of going... Uh, so we've got <laughs> Chris and Christian so going... Marginal. Uh, go on, Chris. Break it down. It- it's so marginal. It's like it's it's like fifty five forty five, because Lewis did understeer into Perez, but there is a thousand percent more that both drivers could have done to avoid that contact. And I think Perez mm. more so as well because he had room mm. on the left hand side to to give, knowing that Lewis is on a more acute line through the corner and is likely to understeer. And I think this is a classic case of penalizing the outcome rather than the crime. So it's, it's similar to what we said in Silverstone 2021. It's actually a, a relatively similar incident. But at, at the time in, in Silverstone 2021, we said both drivers consented to a potential crash. And that is absolutely fair. And in this situation as well, both drivers consented to a, a potential crash and these are my two favorite drivers in Formula One. So as soon as the contact happened, I went, oh, no, I don't know. I don't know who to be biased towards or against. So this is a good one for me because I can I can in my head, I can switch if it was the other way around. You know, how would I feel? So, you, you know, I think the, the point you made there, Chris, is Hamilton to, was, was left just enough room to get onto the apex. But but Perez didn't jump out of his way to go to the exit. So it's a kind of a case of trying to establish what you're supposed to do. And that's really hard to pick apart, Christian. And this is where we get into the kind of the murky depths of what on earth are the rules here? 
There's one thing we never talk about that is intent. Uh, and sometimes you can just uh, let me give an example from football. When when VAR was introduced, it was really cool for offsiding because you could just say it's offside or it's not offside. That's that's it. But you could also show intent in free kicks if someone did something behind the judge's back. Uh, but in uh, but in Formula One, we have had VAR all the time, but it's just not black and white. And intent is so difficult to show. And in this race, in this incident, as with Piastri and Science at the beginning, there was no intent to hurt anyone. It was a racing incident. And I think it's ruining. Uh, basically, it's the same as saying, okay, you overtake a car, here's a black and white flag. It's, uh, it's the same when you, when you take that intent factor mm. out of the, uh, 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 the equation. And I think when you have machines doing this, according to some textbook from a remote center in England, and people not with the Charlie Whiting uh, kind of spirit or overview, you will get this. Yeah, I think, look, I think the stewarding seemed weird to me. So it the when it first happened, it seemed fairly innocuous. I think we can all agree. It, it, it seemed fairly innocuous. And Perez really unlucky to have that amount of damage and that amount of disadvantage from that contact. But it wasn't until he retired that suddenly the penalty got investigated and then and issued out. So you know Red Bull for sure. Red Bull was lobbying for that, angry that Perez had been been taken out. So, you know, this is once again penalising consequences over what actually happened. But even as a Perez fan, I can cite two examples of where he has done this exact same thing. So he did it in Austria 2022 as well which is he he messed up on a corner and allowed uh, Russell in in Austria and Hamilton in this case to go into a gap. And I don't think Hamilton really was planning to make any kind of overtake into that into that corner. You know, because Perez had made the mistake, had struggled then on traction and had gone a little bit wide, the gap is there. Hamilton isn't going to stop and park and say, "Oh, Sergio, please Gather yourself together. We'll battle at the bus stop instead. So then he's kind of forced alongside. And, and Perez, instead of moving to the exit and hoping that Hamilton leaves him a car's width and doesn't shove him off or yield, Perez aims for the centre of the straight. And I think that, that Chris, is where I struggle with the rules. So Perez, he's, he's squeezed him onto the apex, and I think that's perfectly fair. But then as we get to the apex, actually, we'll get, let Matt get in. Sorry, Matt. As he gets to the, the where you, you'd normally drift to the apex, he holds quite a tight line. And I, it was my understanding that last year, if the car on the inside had had won the corner by being alongside at the apex, the outside car had to kind of had a responsibility to to not then get collected by the inside car. Well, you would think that would be the case. And, um, you know, I made the point in the Piastri argument about experience mattering a lot in these. And I just... <clears throat> Do you remember that point in the race where it was raining in the race race and Max is headed up Eau Rouge and he puts his wheels on the curb, which is the standard racing line. And he just about loses the yes, car. That was good. That was great from Max. Actually, that was a, that was a hell of a save. <laughs> that was about a half meter from being a way more interesting race. But I, but I, look, I, I think there's, I think there's 10 drivers on the grid have that moment and end up in the wall. So that is, you know, Verstappen with that was top level driving. But my point being, any experienced driver has a really good idea of what's going to happen if you force someone onto a wet curb. You're going to destabilize the car and the car's performance and handling. So if I'm Perez and I squeeze Hamilton on that entry, well, as you said, I think that's an entirely fair maneuver. In the dry, 
we wouldn't even be having this discussion because that contact never would have happened. But coming off of that curb, the car, although everyone has said it understeers, if you watch Hamilton's hands closely, there's a little bobble there. I think I think he momentarily spun the wheels, changed his line a little bit, and Perez at the same time was trying to tighten the line yeah. to 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 compromise his exit. And I think you're right. If you squeeze on the way in, you have to allow some maneuverability for the other car or, or, on the way out, or you're especially gambling. in wet conditions. Yeah, no, I agree. Or you're gambling that they're going to back out. So, th- so this yeah. is it. So, so at Silverstone, Verstappen squeeze. He's hoping that discourages Hamilton from continuing that. And here as well, I think you know Perez is going right. If I keep it tight, you have to disappear. And I just don't see the point where he would disappear. Look. I don't think this one's too controversial because a lot of people were saying, you know, that the penalty was madness. If you want to apportion blame and who was more responsible, you have to really have a better grasp and understanding of the rules. And so the the the, the source I'll go to is was James Allison. So obviously it's not great because he's Mercedes, but he was speaking in 2022 about these rules and he was told that it was their understanding that once the inside car was was significantly alongside, and I think Hamilton was inarguably alongside, they own the corner. And that then means that the, the, the car on the outside doesn't have to like give up, but you, you are then responsible for, for not being collected and hit by the car. So if that's not true, let me know. If there's a regulation you can point to where that's not the rule, let me know. But how on earth are stewards giving a penalty when that was the understanding of the rules last season? Sorry, Chris, then Matt, and then we'll move on. Yeah, so... Obviously, he has to leave Lewis a space, and he's technically done that. Mm. But what he he hasn't done, he's he's given the space, assuming that Lewis has got perfect grip and it's not going to slide at all, and uh, he's going to keep it tight on the exit as well. Which why would he do that? Yeah, why because, would you? No one does that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's just it goes against the laws of driving and, and physics. So <laughs> that's why for me, there's there's more Perez could have done to avoid that. That mm. contact. Yeah, and I like that. I like I like the marker being who could have done more to avoid it if it's going to be that 50-50 and they're going to insist on giving a penalty. Personally, mm. I don't think a penalty should have been given. I think they penalized the damage to Perez and not the actual incident itself. And I think that is incredibly wrong and foolish and will make the sport look silly. But if you are in a we-must-punish-all-contact mode, then the answer needs to be who did the most or who did the least to avoid it. And in this case, there was more room for Perez to be in than there was for Hamilton. I think that's a, a good order to go in. I think I think we you know we talked about the generalities of the the race weekend, Matt. Does it peek behind the curtain? Let everyone let everyone in on our thinking. And then I like the arguments. So even though I think those weren't the most significant things of the weekend, I'm glad we had those arguments because those arguments are fun. Yes. And now Mm. we get to the good stuff. Yeah. Well, yeah. But, you know, this is a good time to ask people to perhaps support us on Patreon because it's Matt's birthday. How are you going to not support us on Patreon when it's Matt's birthday? Look at this face. Yeah. Well, if you're an audio listener. It needs all the help (laughs) it can get. Listen to this face if you're an audio listener. <laughs> but look, look how look how lean and skinny he is. Contribute to Matt affording some potatoes. Patreon.com forward slash Missed Apex. The, the links are always in the show notes below. And you'll get uh, some extra Friday previews and also an ad-free feed. So please consider doing that. Okay, uh, the first driver to talk about is, is Max Verstappen. And I have to say, 
Max Verstappen, of late, there was a period where he was just talking about, ah, do you know what? At some point, I'm going to want to go off and be the Tiddlywinks champion. You know, I just want to restore the glory of Tiddlywinks back to the Netherlands. And, uh, and I'm probably going to do that in about 10 minutes. If And then making, you know, threats if they do these these sprint weekends or whatever i'll leave f1 he just seemed really down in the dumps about it and and when you've got a runaway champion i think that was contributing to that ah oh, there's a bit of an inevitability about the race weekend it's not very exciting he wins he's not very happy about it this weekend i there was a marked change and i have to say like chris you know i'm not a verstappen fan but like everything about his social media, his bounce, his spring in his step, every interview, there was a wink and a smile. Like he was charming. And I don't generally think he's charming. <laughs> he was he was a charming champion this weekend. And, and somehow that just that changed my whole mood around him winning. I was less annoyed about him winning easily just because something something just seemed different. Well, I think the fact that he knew he had to fight for it uh, this weekend. Obviously, he was fastest in qualifying, but going into this weekend with a gearbox uh, penalty. Uh, and it's actually like it's the first time for years that we've come to Spa and the grid wasn't looking like anything like it did in qualifying because everyone's taking 50 place grid penalties for component mm. changes. We actually had a a representative grid for the first time in years. And um, but the the only difference being Max starting in, in sixth place and knowing he would have to pick cars off and he really bided his time and for me that was a real mark of confidence in his own speed and ability because he knew Perez was leading and he had two cars in front of him and he just sort of bided his time I I, I know it's a little but bit of DRS train boded his time bided bided it bided it okay bided it bided it his time Christian uh, <laughs> Christian's bideding his time and he'll be next okay yes but I just yeah he was in a bit of a DRS train with Lewis and and, and and Charles, but you see, he just he didn't go for anything crazy because he knew that Perez also wasn't pulling away. You know, sort of Charles and Lewis were holding sort of that two second gap. But the the thing that really made the difference for me was after that first round of pit stops, and he took like two seconds out of Perez in a single lap and was on his tail like almost as soon as the outlap was over. That was astonishing, Christian. We often talk about the, the, the greats of the sport being not necessarily seconds faster than the not-so-greats, but they're consistent. They are always delivering. And what I find amazing about uh, Verstappen this year is, I mean, he he wobbles the car into a rouge on a half-wet track. He drives the, uh, 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 the red uh, tires off on lap one. He does all the wrong things, yet he's just so <laughs> consistent. He do- I mean, uh, I was exaggerating. He does all the right things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he also does the small mistakes that would normally cost you, so- cost you something. It doesn't cost him anything. He's so beyond everything and anyone. And I, th- I would really have a difficult time finding the motivation to get into the car if I was Sergio Perez because – what is he? I mean, today, what is he driving for? Oh, we'll get to Perez. We'll get to Perez. But let, let's stick on Verstappen for for a minute, Matt, because Sorry I think that. when it's slightly challenging, no, that's okay, Christian. It's fine. I'm just sticking to my plan, and as usual, delaying the inevitable Perez chat. Okay, so um, you know, Verstappen in a in a weekend where there was lots of different things to to chunk through, lots of challenging conditions. We often say we just don't know how well he did. These kind of scenarios give you much more of an insight to go, yes, he really did manage that rocket ship very well. Well, yeah. I mean, it was interesting to me. I, I don't know. 
and this has nothing to do with my massive investment in the tinfoil industry, but I, I did notice that Perez got an awfully slow stop first time through the pits when he <laughs> no. was ahead. Yeah. But, but what I enjoyed most about Max this weekend, and I, I, I have the feeling that this might have been discussed a little bit in advance, was the, um, was the dramatic radio narrative of the whole weekend between him and Jean-Pierre Lambier's <laughs> sitcom, race mate, engineer that culminated in, in Max saying, well, I, I know you have an idea about what the tires are up to. But let me tell you, I'm the one with my rear end in the seat, and I know exactly what they can do. It was it was really interesting because the the dynamic between those guys it, it clearly seems like there's a lot of like mutual respect there. They both very much fight their corner. But the the line that really got me, where I kind of went, oh, hang on, is this how how much is this banter and how much of this is stress? Is when uh, uh, Juan Piero Lambassi said, "Here we go, just looking for it." Uh, but you know what? You tell me what you want to do in, in Q3 and we'll do it. Let me know. Sets, fuel, run plan, just do whatever you want. The last time I heard an engineer like that, and I don't know the name of the engineer, but it was to Paul DeResta, I think in 2013. And Paul DeResta had been like kicking off, I think, in Canada about tactics. And the race engineer just said, do you know what? When you think it's time for tyres, you let us know what tyres you want and which tyres you want, and we'll just do that. And he was gone, I think, at the end of that season. So that's the only one, Chris, that made me go, ooh, is that... Are they okay? Can I... I would not recommend uh, Giampiero Lambiassi take on a career in Formula E because those drivers are horrible to their engineers most of the time. That is mad. They speak so abhorrently to their engineers. But the one for me... Um, was the, uh, oh, I'm sure that was a good idea. Are you you sure? Are are we using our our brain cell today, Max? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. And like, you will listen to my instructions. And I I don't know how much of this is just GP, like I've had enough. Like we're doing this now. But it could just be the way they communicate, Matt. I mean, if you listened and you have done, if you've listened to me and my wife ever communicating with each other, you might not necessarily know that we were a loving couple immediately. Yeah, and, and I think that is probably a large part, part of it. They've had a long working relationship. But I think the quote you're going for is, well, and tell me, Max, when you got to the last lap where the track was two seconds faster and you had no energy, how would that have been? It was very passive aggressive, Christian. <laughs> You'd never talk to me this way, Christian, would you? Would you, Christian, KP? Uh, well, sometimes I write on WhatsApp and then I delete it again. I wait for the next end, read oh. it in the morning. Of, oh, I'm glad I didn't send that. That's why no, that I, happens. Okay. In a couple of races, he's going to be a, a three-time world champion, right? Yeah. I mean, that is already setting. Everyone knows it. I mean, he could drive blindfolded for the next races and still win, win it. I mean, oh, it's a shoe in It's done. It's done. Yeah. Yeah, and and that takes away something within the team. And I mean, maybe he's just little bit relaxed already. I would be if I was uh, for stopping. And I think maybe, yeah, come on, whatever. We'll just, I'll just do whatever I can. I'll just drive the car as fast as so I what, can. I mean, what, yeah. What you're saying don't is you that... Don't you think that's... Uh, I'm just, that's what I'm saying. Uh, I'm seeing more like a guy just, okay, it's done. So Verstappen is basically, he's doing the last day of term at school, but he's doing that like in February. And uh, so everyone's trying to get on with the algebra <laughs> and taking it very seriously. And he's already brought in like mousetrap and he's like yeah, setting but he, it up. He, he's entitled to it, don't you think? Uh, yeah, it's done. The job is all but done, Chris. It is. No, no, I, I kind of disagree on that slightly. Because 
he's won going into this weekend seven Grand Prix in a row. Why would you change the formula that's led you to that success? If it's if it's yielding you success, don't change the attitude. This is what happens. That so many drivers have gotten too complacent and they fall off this massive cliff because they they fall out of um, habit or they, they forget the things that little innocuous things that end up building to big successes. Oh my God. Oh my God. The patrons, are, th- are they messing with me? Was Juan well, Piero Lambassi... possibly not. Was he also Paul Resta's engineer, the one I was describing? No way, GP. <laughs> so that the engineer I was describing uh, that, that pulled this well, same... According to, according to Wikipedia, the answer is yes. And according to yeah. Mateus and Karen as well. Oh my God. So... That memory I had of Paul DeResta getting snarked by his engineer in exactly this way was the same race engineer. But also, that has made is, my day. How long has GP been in Formula One? <laughs> Dude looks way too young to have been a race engineer for 10 years. Oh, wow. Okay, well, that is absolutely incredible. So, look, this guy then has a long history of taking absolutely no crap, Matt. Yeah, and what's interesting to me about Max and the tires, and this whole situation is he was very upset because he wanted a faster lap to keep the tires in the window. And But from an energy management point of view, he wasn't going to have the energy when the track was at its fastest. And the team did the numbers and said, you'll get through if you do it our way. He wasn't happy. And I understand that, I think, from a driver's mm-hmm. point of view. But it also brings out just how good Max is at the tires, do you remember what he said about Piastri in the sprint race? I don't. He was like, oh, his tires aren't going to last the way he's drifting them around right. the corners. And if if we look at any teammate pairing where there's a better and a worse, almost always the worse is they just can't manage the tires as well as the better. And Max is just a master at it. All right. Perez then. Okay. How in a race where Perez has finished second, he is getting so much heat and grief. Because when he was sort of, you know, piddling around at the back on these great recovery drives, getting driver of the day, somehow he got less grief than today when he secured a, a solid second place. It has almost highlighted the gap. So now he's back up in second place. It's highlighted the performance gap. And Chris, I think on average, once Verstappen overtook him, the apparent gap between these drivers, and we don't know who was pushing, who was saving or whatever, but on paper... Verstappen was on race fuel around a second a lap faster than Sergio Perez. That is huge. Yeah. Well, look, the reason that Perez wasn't getting the grief on the recovery drives is because we'd already given him all the grief on Saturday for not even getting out of Q1 uh, sometimes for whatever reason, right? So when did uh, did he pass uh, uh, Checo, like lap 12 or something, Uh, or... 13, 14, whatever it was, 44 lap race, you're looking at about three quarters of a second to pull, what was a 22 second gap. And you're right, it's absolutely highlighted just how far off Sergio Perez is, because this was probably the closest to a straight fight we've had between the two of them since maybe Miami, when Max had to come back up through the field from like 15th or whatever it was, and they went toe-to-toe then. I mean, is it is it as bad as it looks? There are, yes. there are, okay. Well, okay. But okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, no, I see where you're going. I see where you're going. I because... was mid-sentence. <laughs> oh, that's just so mean. No, 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 I, I think the reason 
is okay so there's one of two things um happening the, the first is that max is just unbelievable yeah. which is probably also but yeah it's a contributing factor but also you know what what is what is perez doing uh that is leading him either in the wrong direction or not being able to do the things that max uh, can do because we know that max has this inane ability to drive around problems with the car but the car seems to be absolutely amazing in every way uh shape or form i know that the drivers will still get out and say <laughs> oh yeah it doesn't quite do this perfectly because there's no such thing as perfect car but that can't just be it it's either like perez is just taking max's setups and trying to do what he can can do and can't use that same setup because it's too aggressive or it's not to his liking or something like that or he's just not finding yeah. the same things that max is doing christian I mean, the perfect scenario to show if you actually can beat your teammate is to uh, be allowed to start at the front and your teammate like five cars back down. Then you get to the front, you pass the, the car in front of you, you you have the straight, you you, you build the gap uh, away from the DRS. Uh, your teammate has to catch up and overtake four cars before he catches you. That is the perfect scenario to show you can actually beat your teammate. On in Spa, I mean, what better conditions can you ever get to show you can beat your teammate? And he was what thirty seconds behind at the end. Yep. Okay, so it's clearly time for some hopium and copium corner with, <laughs> okay. with good old Uncle Trump. Is that for here. me? Is that hopium and copium for me as a Perez fan? Absolutely. Okay, okay, okay good. I'm, I'm here for it. I'm here for it. Yes, please inject so it. So I'm 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 gonna I'm gonna be I'm gonna be real here and and point out that John John P and our chat has said that Max is the absolute tire warm-up master. And we do know that Perez has always been the tire whisperer, getting them to go long, but you mm. get them to go long by being very gentle on them. And when you're gentle on them, one thing you're not doing is getting them to warm up rapidly. And we know that Red Bull has a car that is very, very gentle on the tires. So I think what you saw going onto the medium tire, which wasn't as good in these weather conditions as the soft tire was in terms of performance, I think you saw mainly the difference between Max's ability to very rapidly get that tire into the window and Perez struggling a little bit to get it there. Once, once Max was passed and Perez knows he's not coming back, if I have any brains at all, I'm like, how much of this, and we've heard Lewis make this call too, can I turn the engine down? How much of this performance mm. can I save for when I might need it later on? Max has already taken a new gearbox. Perez has not. So if he's being clever, he's saving performance in this engine for some time later when it might benefit him more. This was also a high deg race as well. Spa is characteristically tough on uh, tires. The soft tire was a very popular choice because, A, they had an abundance of them because they had no dry running pretty much uh, up until uh, that point. But also, they only had FP1 before Park Ferme was locked in, and that was a washout. Uh, and because it had been a washout all weekend, there's no rubber laid down on the track, so we had lo a lot of graining. Uh, and I, I know I'm kind of stealing Matt's thunder here by talking about what's happening nah. with the tires this weekend. <laughs> Everybody but, uh, knows about graining by now. Yeah, exactly, yes, exactly. It's the cheese rolling thing that Ted Kravitz keeps talking about. Um, but f for me, that was also where Max seemed to excel because he's being so smooth. Like when you watched his onboards, 
he looks like he's cruising. He doesn't look like he's pushing whatsoever. He looks like he's on a cooldown lap. It's so like smooth and eloquent and unrushed. He's in like too high a gear than he needs to be to save fuel. Very smooth on the steering wheel. Nice and gentle. Like every time we saw the throttle application on the Halo graphic, very, very mm. smooth as well. Okay, but we're, I think we're in the Slayton Perez bit now. Well, <laughs> yeah, probably because he can't do what Max can do. Not a lot of people why? can. Hang on, probably why? no shame in that. Matt, but... uh, Matt, why can't he? Well, mm. okay. If we Fundamentally. No, fu- fundamentally, <laughs> the era that Perez was best with tires in, aerodynamically and everything else, the tires were different and the, air- and the cars were different. So what you're seeing here is a carryover of that style that was so successful for him as Pirelli have made more robust tires actually starting to work against him. Now, in Formula One, a half a second a lap is a pretty small margin. You're, you're well under 1%. You're like a tenth of a percent. So if I said, I'm a tenth of a percent better, you'd go, that's not a lot. But in Formula One, that's like the difference between Max and Perez here. And what's happening is Perez just can't, is having to think too much about what he needs to do. And Max is being able to do it automatically. And that's where this margin is coming from. Max is, um, uh, Max, excuse me, Sergio is having to think his way around making these tires work, making this car work, and Max does not. It's that simple. All right. Well, sad. All right. I can get over it. I'll be okay. Uh, Oh, we can make other people sad. Let's talk about, oh, normally Ferrari is a good way to make people feel sad. But they they sort of half, they half did okay. So I don't don't know if this is going to be as satisfying. Why don't I leave you to, to it, Matt? given that they had uh, an element of success. So signs aside for that crash that he entirely caused, as was voted for by an overwhelming majority, actually, earlier of 11 to 2. Uh, but as far as Leclerc goes, he actually had, you know, he had, they had good performance and, and Ferrari have been a, a bit kind of nowhere. And then suddenly they have the audacity to turn up and be quite good at Spa. Well, they did, and it all really started with Leclerc being uh, so good in qualifying because one of the big Achilles heels of the Ferrari car is that it has been terrible on its tires, especially in traffic, and being at the front gave him a chance to not be in traffic for a change, and we finally got to see what an unleashed Ferrari might be capable of. I think for me as well putting it on the uh the front row and ending up on pole for sure helped but what was really surprising to me was the fact that the mercedes uh still couldn't seem to match uh, the race pace like even their tire deck was worse than what the ferrari is which is supposedly you know d- terrible so either either mercedes made a step back uh maybe because of uh there was this lower downforce um set up on that car or ferrari have made a step forward or maybe a combination of the two christian i just find it uh better races when ferrari are front right i mean just something happens when ferrari are in the mix and uh i'm happy to see leclerc being uh more or less on pace with the mercedes at least we can get some racing up there i mean he had to really like punch a hole for perez though didn't he it was like really inevitable it's like Charles didn't do anything to try and keep the lead at some point. 
like um remember when um, Hamilton and, and Vettel were racing uh, like a few years ago for the lead. Fryer was monster down the straight and Lewis is backing out before a rouge so that Vettel is too close and has to back out as well. I mean, I was commentating on a race at Spa in uh, the Euro Formula Open where the pole sitter literally gave up the lead into La Source <laughs> deliberately so that he could tow him back and, and get him into Lake Com, you know, a few seconds later. They just know that don't play with the Red Bulls. I'm just going to use my tires. I'm just going to wait for the next guy. And that is kind of sad. Well, the interesting thing to me to note about the Ferrari is that if you watched it closely, it is still, I think, one of the best cars on acceleration. But I don't think Leclerc had any real way to defend from Perez at the end of the first straight given the advantage and efficiency the Red Bull had. I have nothing to add to that, Matt. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> You've left failed. Christian speechless. Amazing. No, but it was, um, it was good to see Ferrari, as you say, back up at the front. And they have just about caught Aston in the, World, in the Constructors' Championship. I think they're about five points back at this point. So this is going to be an interesting thing to watch is Aston are claiming that they know what the problem is and they can fix it. But you yeah, know who's... Yeah. yeah. No, no, you know sorry. Who, just yeah, Fernando Alonso no. was saying after the race, like, oh, we've we made a step forward. Like, we think we know where we're going now. It felt like a much better car. And I feel like that was represented in the results. I know we had Piastri and, and Sainz out, so probably would have been maybe sixth without that. But still, you know, fifth place, good good result. It's a It's a marked improvement on the last few races opposite can be said for mclaren as well who've made a like two three podiums in in three races including the sprint and then absolutely nowhere in the grand prix today i see now i think i think i think alonso absolutely lucked into his result because everybody who he passed was absolutely scuppered by piastri coming out of turn one you're we can so talk true. about that later but we should you're right we should talk about mclaren because they started out the weekend promising us so very very much and they ended up with norris being like i have no idea how we wound up seventh because we were dead last i i don't understand it either he was so far back and it like he had no answer and it seemed like um the tires they were on because what well, they started on the mediums and it just wasn't working for them at, at, at all which is surprising because what was so impressive about norris's podium at silverstone was the fact that they were able to fire up the hard tire so quickly after the safety car restart compared to what you would normally expect a hard tire to take to to warm up and compete with a car on a softer uh, compound as um, Hamilton was in that situation. So why have they got no pace on that medium tire in the first stint of this race? But obviously McLaren's major problem and Lando Norris admitted this like even before the race, they got too much downforce on the car um, and they're just nowhere on the straights because they were gambling, I think, for a, for a wet race. And uh, you see, because it was great in the, the wet qualifying, it was great in the, the wet sprint. Um, but as soon as it, it dried out, it was a massive struggle. I think that is what you saw on the Alpha Tauris as well. Uh, some of the cars was just set up for, for Friday, Saturday. And uh, that is probably why uh, the race today was, um, there was like a strange period, like one third into the race where all of a sudden pace was falling uh, 
the, the Norris, for instance, he was just nowhere. And then at one point, Alonso pitted and came out of the same spot. I mean, everything, sometimes I just couldn't follow with all the times and all. But eventually, I, f- uh, I think it was a really, really grown-up drive from uh, Lando Norris, this one. Well, and this is where it, it really gets into the area that I love so much, which is that, number one, McLaren is the first one to admit they didn't have the correct rear wing for Spa. They went full-on high downforce, crossed their fingers that it would get wet enough that they could, they could make it work. That didn't work. And what they did do that was absolutely correct. I think the hard tire for Norris was like a terrible choice. Put him all the way at the back. He had no pace at all. But what they did do absolutely correctly was they guessed the intensity of the rain. And when they pitted him as it had started raining and put him on the soft tire, yeah, that was... I, for one, was like, that's dumb. What Why are they kind doing of a that? choice yeah. is yeah. that? That's yeah. a disaster. Yeah, from my sofa, that looked like an awful decision. But I think at one point he was four seconds faster than Verstappen. This is the thing. He was so fast. He made up all that time he lost because they put him on the right tire at the The right right time. time. Yeah, yeah. And that's, yeah. So, you know, that's it. I think, look, their their pace was probably disguised a little bit this weekend because people had to make a choice and they made a choice that didn't suit today. Aston Martin made the kind of opposite choice and were a little bit flattered today when when you look at the scheme of the overall pace. And then, you know, we've just discussed Ferrari and the next one to discuss is Mercedes because you've got four teams there where the order is really fluid and it's incredibly exciting to kind of, you turn up at the weekend, if you've got skin in the game and you're you're looking at, you know, your your team, so out of those four, I'm sort of hoping for Mercedes to do better because I'm a Lewis Hamilton fan. So Mercedes are kind of consistently being the second or third team with Ferrari, Aston Martin less so now, but then also Mercedes kind of taking turns in in jumping in and around. And there's some joy to be found around that, Matt. And mind you, like I know we're sort of, you know, a bit F1 obsessed. We'll always look in a season for where is that battle? Where is that fun? But I think genuinely outside of the, the Red Bulls, let's say they're one, two for the rest of the season. It's a, it's a good fight. It's a great entertaining fight between these guys. Oh, and all the way down to 10th. I mean, mm. we saw we saw so much unbelievable racing, even even from people outside the top 10, Albon and Gasly making ridiculous overtakes at various times during the race. How close the cars are has been one thing that the outside of Max mm. and sometimes Perez, but definitely outside of Max, how close these cars are and how how difficult this battle is for all of the drivers and teams has been one of the things they've really gotten right about this regulation set, I would think. Okay. Uh, but for uh, Yeah. No, go for it. But but you want to talk about Mercedes. I'm impressed. They were nowhere. They brought a beast back to a car that can't take it can't fully go where they wanted to mm. go to work. And they continue to bring things that make the car faster. I think they still struggle in the high speed on the straights, but I have every certainty that they will continue to whittle that down and be even more competitive as the season carries on. So one of my favorite things about the sprint weekends is um, the lack of test, uh, not testing, uh, practice. Uh, and coming into this weekend, uh, there was basically no practice with the weather being as it was. So basically Mercedes uh, just... Uh, 
pulled up with two new cars. Uh, pretty decent uh, yeah. uh, difference from uh, the the older spec, and s- still uh, quite amazed with how Hamilton just was on it during the sprint day and during qualifying as well. He could have qualified a bit better, I think. Actually, so don't forget that they they had a car not set up for anything, not tested or anything. From that perspective, I think Mercedes had a really good weekend, and yeah. Russell coming in at uh, a sixth was amazing. Too. Yeah, he got it together towards the end of the weekend. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Mercedes, I think they, they had a, a rough weekend in Hungary, and I was quite critical on the Hungarian Grand Prix race review. There's still some things like throughout the course of the weekend here where, you know, the communication to the drivers didn't seem good. Russell was a little bit of a, a weapon in the sprint qualifying when he, he went off and then, well, well, he overtook Hamilton in the, the queue to, to, to start the, the, the fast lap. Then the Friday went, qualifying, the right? Friday, no, this was, um, no, this the, was the, the sprint the qualifying. This was the sprint shootout qualifying. Oh, the shootout? Okay. Yeah. So, uh, and this was in the, the SQ3, and then he went wide into turn one, and Hamilton kind of had to slow to make sure that he didn't hit his own teammate, and then Russell just kept his foot in and then actually made Hamilton then lift again on the Kemmel straight. And that and Hamilton was thinking, oh, I could have been top two qualifying there. Uh, top three seemed on, but instead, you know, he, he got, you know, he got stuck behind Russell and ended up in, in Q7. So in, uh, in P7. So there's a lot of kind of organizational things. We talked about the pit stops as well. And it just feels like Mercedes need a bit of a spa retreat as a as a company. And then and there's thousands of them, so you need a pretty big spa. And then kind of come back a little bit afresh. It's almost like they've twisted themselves up in knots chasing this performance. And they, they kind of have it. I think Christian's right. The update that they came with, it's a, it's a good car to go racing with. But over the last three weekends, you know, their upgrades have been kind of disguised by just little areas missing here and there. And I, I have no idea because obviously we're not in the garage. But that's how it seems from the outside, Chris. So... 
I think like it, when they when they get it together, if they they could easily come back and dominate that that second best car spot. I completely agree. I think there have been too many operational errors from Mercedes so far this season, and that's what has been hurting them more. I think in because the the car the car is the car at this point. There's not a lot they're going to be able to do to kind of turn that around. They really just have to make the best out of what they've got. And we're seeing all these errors that are creeping in that you didn't see when they were dominating. Now, either those mistakes were happening and the car was so fast that <laughs> Maybe. it didn't yeah. matter and we never saw them. Mm. Um, or, or there were you know incidents like uh, Monza when they bring Lewis in with the closed pit lane that were a bit more obvious. But you know they they've got nowhere to hide now. And they're much more under the microscope now. So they need to eliminate these errors. But I like how you don't see any bad publicity, any bad PR when you have a thing like Hamilton and, and Russell doing the thing in SQ3. I like how they are still able to yeah. keep a good vibe. <gasps> Nearly. Even Hang though on. this is like a seven-time world champion and he's still, oh, it's my track. I mean, Did still you see the interviews? Like Did that. you see the, 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 the media pen? And Chris will love this from a PR point of view. You know, Hamilton, yeah. he's, he's, he's trying to say everything in the world except Russell absolutely screwed my lap. And then when they go, did Russell absolutely screw your lap? And he went, uh, uh oh, doesn't it doesn't matter. I'm all I'm all right. It doesn't matter. Chris, do you reckon there was like a PR person just prodding him in the back? Oh, of course, he would have been completely briefed Prepped, on yeah. what to say there. But the thing is, that you know, the teams obviously come out and said that was our fault. We yeah. didn't communicate good. it yeah. properly to the drivers. Unlike say. Alpine, for example, who decided it was a good idea to announce two senior members of the team leaving on a Friday oh. afternoon when they are surrounded by media oh my God. and giving them a golden opportunity to just slam the brand. Okay, we're going to come back to Russell. Don't worry. But Matt, okay. you have you you and I have argued about the Renault return, and I've said to you that that is. A disaster from start to finish. And you've always had faith in that Renault outfit. But it's falling apart now. The wheels are off. It's so far off that they finished third on Saturday and Alcon came from 14th and finished eighth. Organizationally. Car is a disaster. Organizationally, clearly. not like. Okay, so look, if you want to point to results, <laughs> you're good at this. But I if am. you want to point to, like, yes, a weekend where th there was there was lots of teams with different approaches to the weekend, which mixed things up a bit, fine. It wasn't a disaster. And again, I've, Matt, I feel like this has always been our argument when it comes to Renault slash Alpine which is that your bar for success for them is a lot lower than mine. This is a works team with one of the biggest car manufacturers in the universe. They should be way, way higher, uh, but for their lack of commitment. Organizationally, this has now been exposed as a disaster. Okay, so there's like 97 things I need to unpick. Okay, just pick but two. I, I, but, but, but I'm going to rapidly go to the same thing that James Vowell said about Williams. When they needed the investment in the modern tools before the cost cap, they were not getting it, even though they're now fully funded. It's far too late without an expansion of the CapEx, the capital expenditure, for them to really catch up. But honestly, I was having this chat with Chris, and we were both laughing at the fact that Alpine misplaced Ocon's front wing and qualified. Oh, my God. And couldn't yeah. find it in time. That was hilarious. But the reality is... The problem here, I don't think, is the Formula One team. I think the problem here 
is Viri. I think it's their power unit, and I think it's the people who running it, and I think it's the inability of the people running it to actually get their act together and properly work with the Formula One team to make a car that would really be competitive. So Renault, as an engine manufacturer, power unit supplier, whatever, has produced an underpowered engine slash power unit since the dawn of time. Even back in the V8 days, it was yeah. underpowered compared to, say, the Mercedes, for example. Oh, yeah, Red Bull used to uh, give them loads of grief. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, this is even, my even point. Even when they were winning championships with them, right? You're agreeing so, with me now, no, no, Chris. No, 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 Do no, no. better. No, no, no. So they're banging on uh, about... It's not a Renault. It's a Tag oh. Heuer. Yeah. They're banging on about this 25 brake horsepower that needs to be equalized. So they're asking help from Formula One to get an extra 25 <laughs> brake horsepower, which is embarrassing. But for me, everything that's going on at the moment it just shows to me that they've got so many bigger problems that they have to deal with. And just, I know the result on track was good today, Matt, but also Roman Grosjean finished third in the Team Endstone car while there were bailiffs at the factory. So it doesn't mean they don't have problems. I, I don't know if anyone heard the interview with the new, uh, what's his role? I think he's Fabian, he's the interim new team, team yeah, principal. Bruno Famin. Uh, yeah. He's the new team, he's the new Otmar, right? Right. Uh, that was, I've, I don't think I've in the last 10 years heard anyone say anything that sounded the alarms more than what he said they you you can't remove alan P- perman and otmar yeah. and pat fry from the same team i mean their five-year plan can start in a couple of years when the team Jeez. has gotten it form again and that's seven years from now i, I just find it so amateurish that uh, not from the formula one team side but from uh, from the ceo uh, boardroom kind of side and this is kind of the point I was making. It's very easy to get distracted by the Formula One team. Oh, you know, they had a race where they got a bunch of penalties. Oh, they're terrible. But they have fired the CEO of Alpine, who was running it. They put somebody new in there. And now they fired Otmar, Alan Permain, and Pat Fry is going. But the reality is, as Chris points out, you can go back to the first engine freeze where the engines had parity. And a year later, Renault walks in the door and says to the FIA, we need help. We're behind. You can look at 2014, where they had an engine that couldn't go two laps without bursting into flames. That was funny. And then you come here. And I begin to think that the people at Renault and the corporate leadership are looking in the wrong place for the real problem. I don't think it's Otmar. I don't think it's Alan Permain. I don't think it's Pat Fry. I think the problem is coming from elsewhere. And they really are going to have to clean house there before anything gets that much better. The engine problems are coming from inside the factory. All right, look, a couple more things I need to cover. It's been a a long race review, but it's been a a long race weekend as well. So uh, quickly going to touch on on Russell, uh, uh, incidents for both the Aston Martin drivers and then Daniel Ricciardo, and then we'll get on to our awards. So uh, Russell really has had a nightmare this weekend. Well done for for rallying back and, and getting it together. But the, the, the gap in pace, the gap in ability is starting to stretch out to the point where I'm starting to suspect that they've developed towards Lewis Hamilton's demands. Chris. So in slight defense of Russell. Oh, I'm, he de- was I'm on, defending Russell. Yeah, well, he, on the, he was on the higher downforce. Yes, that's true. Uh, yeah. Set up, which I think we can all agree was the wrong way to go. Uh, okay, but that wasn't the wrong way to go necessarily when it was 
wetter during the sprint and during sprint qualifying and during Friday qualifying. And, and he really okay. didn't look at ease there. Yeah. And he hasn't really looked at ease in any race except Silverstone, where there was no tyre wear. I, I can give you that. I can give you that 100%. But so what does he do? I, uh, well, new you, car, new Russell. That's what I'm saying. Look, as much as people go on about the Red Bull being developed around Red Bull, I think the focus of Mercedes is Lewis Hamilton at the moment. So I, if he's struggling that much to even to get to the level he wants to be, I'm just wondering if the development of the car has gone away from him. I have no insight into whether it has. But when you have a very capable driver like that, who, yes, has been a little bit behind Lewis Hamilton, he's looking increasingly behind Lewis Hamilton. I don't think... Uh, the old dog Lewis, sorry Lewis, uh, at thirty-seven is finding finding bags more pace, but he has been lobbying very, very hard for a particular type of car, and I think for a particular type of of setup. So it's very possible that they've been developing towards Lewis Hamilton. So I would not want to judge George Russell too harshly, but fair play, he did put his hand up and go, "I'm just, you know, I'm not getting to grips with this car." Uh, Aston Martin had a very mixed weekend before this race. A couple of things to point out. Firstly, quite a rare mistake from Alonso. Like, we don't often see Alonso in the wall. So that was, that was quite odd. And when we saw the Aston Martin, be honest now, did anybody assume anything other than, oh no, Lance Stroll has gone into the wall? No, of course. Yeah, everyone went, oh, Lance Stroll. <laughs> it's a safe bet normally. Yeah. And I couldn't believe when uh, yeah, Crofty was saying it's Fernando Alonso. I'm like, no. No, you had to got wait for the wrong. graphic to pop up before I believed it. <laughs> and then, obviously, Lance Stroll did have his own incident too. But this one, and I'm going to defend Lance Stroll here, I just I couldn't believe it. They made, they made the call to go on to slicks in changeable conditions during a qualifying session. And, and the te- he told the team it's, it's too early. And they said, well, we're committed now. Go for it. He crashes into the wall. And that not only takes him out, but also denies Fernando Alonso the chance to progress. B- big boo-boo from Aston Martin there because they must have realized there was a high risk of Lance ending up in the oh, wall. That is not a comment man. on his ability. It is a fact of no, being no, no, on no. slicks on a dry oh, yeah, track. I, I'm right? not blaming him. Every so, the, the Slack forum, the WhatsApp groups, everyone <laughs> went, oh, no, 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 this is bad. Right? And th- why would you take that risk when Alonso, your number one, is still in the drop zone, mm. knowing that Lance could well bring out, bare minimum, a yellow and ruin Fernando's lap? But he could have been the star of qualifying. But he, Don't forget that. <laughs> it, could have been. it was only Q2. It was Q2. I don't care. I didn't watch the T23 numbers. But it was a Hail Mary. That was the thing. Yeah. It was a Hail Mary to get Lance Definitely. into SQ3 or whatever it was. It Definitely. was actually Q3. Oh, it was actually, was it this, yeah, this it was Friday, Friday qualifying? This was Friday. This is why it's hard to remember you know, all I, the details. God, I, I hate uh, the calendar well, so much. It's, the, I can't the remember only, anything that's happened this year. The only thing they did wrong, actually, was not securing Alonso first. They should have secured Alonso and then sent him out, if that was possible. But, you know, time, there's some... Com- the, 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 the definition yeah. of time is it ends eventually. <laughs> oh, uh, oh, no? Yeah, well. Uh, but those are the details. That's the separation between a team like Red Bull, a team like Mercedes, not so much a team like Ferrari, and a team like Aston. It's those little tiny details having been thought about ahead of time so that they're correct in the moment Mm. they'd sent out lance earlier so he had more laps on that tire he would have been probably fine if they'd sent him out after alonzo 
they would have also been fine. But that fundamental error of not saying what if, and I don't even want to blame the strategist. I certainly wouldn't have thought of it. But at a certain point, that that is where that is where the responsibility lies. At the team level, you have to be able to take that broader view mm-hmm. when you're looking at everything. And as it is, I I personally think they got very lucky with the people, everyone pretty much ahead of Alonzo having a problem on the first lap, put him into fifth place, and then they just kept him there. All right. And then finally, before the awards, I just want to say, Yuki wins. Perfect. Yeah, come on. That's a big win, right? Ricardo yeah, was no. washed. Sino- okay, firstly, that's not true. So I was, I'm a Sonoda fan, and I've never really been a Daniel Ricardo fan. So when it comes to those two teamed up, Yes, I'm hoping that Sonoda will do better. So I was watching their lap times specifically. Ricardo had a lap time deleted in on Friday in Q1. And he was, but that lap time, it put him up to like fifth. And then he got deleted and then he's out of Q1. And then when I was watching the lap times today, I was watching it in the hopes that it would show a, a terrible race pace from Ricardo and that I could do a bit more of an ecstatic Yuki wins. But actually, Chris, Ricardo's lap times were were pretty good they they seemed well matched oh yeah but yuki's were, were better no and uh like what a great result for alpha tori yeah. because that car has been in the points only the third time this season yeah, but 11th. and all in oh. all in like 10th place yeah and a lot of 11th um, as, well. as well though yeah, yeah yeah i mean they're still way uh behind the uh the what's the next car the alpha the alpha romeo Salvo. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Alfa Romeo Salvo, mm. which is still like 10 points ahead of them or something like this. So I think it's still safe mm. to say it's probably the worst car given, in the field. Given but the Alfa Romeo, it, yeah, it was a good race. And I think, yeah, Snowder's, I hate the term, but yeah, he's been maximizing what you can get out of that car. Um, just, a, just a quick kind of petition because Alfa Romeo's kind of done in F1 now and it's going to be Salva next year and then Audi. And it's always been stupid allowing two Alphas named teams and i think alpha tower is getting rebranded at some point as well but for uh, next yeah. year yeah by another um oh. by another by another big fashion brand okay do we know which one it is oh you know <laughs> okay so oh, when i mention is, it this is chris with his <laughs> smug face on no for those no no, no this listening. is this is chris on oh i'm not allowed to say because of a contract he's on um yeah but when <laughs> i was a clue chris a clue just mm. when i reveal it on a future show i didn't hear it from chris so just want to Make that completely clear. It's again hot in here. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so so we have yeah. no alphas at all. So I petition that we do call uh, Alpha Romeo Salba now because it will be Salba next year. It's always been Salba yeah. to me anyway. No, of course it has it's always been Salba. Uh, but and then it's going to be uh, air quotes Aldi yeah, going forward from that. Christian, sorry, your your point on Ricardo. Yeah, we need to big up Ricciardo. I mean, I I think a month ago on this podcast, I was, let's get Ricciardo back. And I was like, oh, yeah. whatever, the thing, he's drunk again. Yeah, he's, oh, he's swearing. People. He's on mushrooms. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, he's driven two races in this car, and it's not the fastest car. It's a strange car to drive. I watched him during the race today. Uh, he he did have a really good first part of the race. Second part of the race, he was just stuck behind Magnussen. And he, even though he was within DRS uh, range of Magnussen, he couldn't overtake him on the straight every lap. And that is that says a lot about the car. If you if you have DRS on a Haas on the straight in Spa and you still can't overtake lap after lap, that is the car. And I, I think we should take hats off for this guy who was uh, six months ago. Everyone's like, the guy's done. 
he's not a racer. He's forgotten to race. And now he's back and he's no. he's actually been out racing uh, Zenorda for, for the last couple of races, except for the race today. He looked fine. That, that's what I'll say. He no, looked- it's not just fine. He's been doing way better than anyone expected. So it does depend on where you see Sonoda's performance. So I'm rating Sonoda quite highly. So I think if Ricardo does as well as Sonoda, he's doing well. And I think if he's not quite on pace immediately, that's not the end of the world. But honestly, you know, I'm sat there looking lap after lap and it's a it's a dog of a car. He was really unlucky in qualifying and he was he was he was pedaling around fine. It was fine. I honestly think it was fine. If you're a Ricardo fan, don't be too downheartened by today, is what I would say. Most of it was just down to where he started. Honestly, if you looked at their lap times, they weren't very dissimilar no. at all. So there we go. bad luck in qualifying, and then he made as much of it as he could. All right. It's time for the podium. Champagne was popped. Sergio Perez joins Max Verstappen on the podium and vows that that is where he will stay. And there is a somewhat rare... Ferrari podium as well. Where will the rest of the season go? I don't know. Well, we know that Verstappen has got it wrapped up. I think it's genuinely open for second in the Drivers' Championship. And there's genuinely a a huge four-way fight for the next four positions. There's a lot to look after, uh, to look forward to after the summer break. It's going to be three weeks, three Sundays without Formula One. But we've got some great stuff lined up for you. We're going to be talking about the, the US races coming up with... Uh, Magnus, who's going to come and join us again. Mike Caulfield is coming on to join us next week. We have mailbag uh, uh, emails piled up in our folder, but please do email us feedback at mistapex.net and we're going to get Antonia to jump in and do a mailbag episode while I go on a holiday. That's right, Matt. I'm going to go on a holiday. Yeah, yeah. And as we all know, if you're a dad with a family, a holiday is something that you need when you get back from No, it's going to, I am assured by the family that it will be very relaxing for me as well to the point that uh, i can i and you're still young enough to believe that okay to the point where i can have a phones off it's going to be a phone off holiday where i don't need to contact anyone uh, the mailbag will happen without me knowing and it will be majestical and magical all right then all Enjoy. right then okay well let's go let's go for that and of course we'll come up with uh, some interesting stuff to keep you occupied during the summer break but now it's time for some awards oh One thing that will keep you occupied during uh, the summer break is next Friday, uh, for those of you interested, there's a virtual live audience with Joe Sayward. So you can jump on a 50-person Zoom call and the conversation with Joe is driven by your questions. Joe has been a journalist in F1 since 1988 and he's been to every Grand Prix since then. So there's very little he doesn't know about the history of F1 or what's going on now particularly in the the business side the political side he's friends with pretty much everyone who's wandering around the f1 paddock so uh, a live virtual audience with joe on friday go and uh, search well no the link is in the show notes but it's mistapexpodcast.com forward slash joe oh and the last thing i want to advertise is do you think this podcast is produced well if so perhaps you would like to consider us for producing your podcast for your company or you as an individual you can email me spanners at mistapex.net we'll give you uh, a quote we'll give you all the advice you need to get yourself set up with good quality we front load quality and production this starts at about half past eight and you've got a full podcast put out on the internet at half past ten that's because we bake the quality in at the front end so when it comes to editing we can pretty much just push it out so email me spanners at mistapex.net if you think 
we could do a podcast service for you. So let's get into the awards. It's the good thing first. All right, Christian, you beacon of positivity. What's your thing of the weekend? I'm going to... Actually, I'm going to pick a thing that could be picked any weekend during the calendar, but uh, I, th- I don't think we get enough uh, praise to the Formula One TV Pro crew. I, I, What I've been working with mostly are like big live shows, one-off shows, one-and-a-half-hour Grammys, things like that. And putting together like a production team that just works, that you can see in their eyes, they like each other, there's a good vibe and stuff like that. It's just one of the most difficult things ever. And that Laura Winter, Sam Collins, uh, Will Buxton uh, too. I mean, he he was back from uh, maternity. They just put on a brilliant show. It's very professional and you can tell they love what they're doing. And I thought that should uh, get some praise. Ah, that's nice. All right, Chris Stevens, what was your thing of the weekend? Yeah, so I'm going to try and match Christian's level of positivity here as I've been scrambling for the last 45 seconds trying to think of something I enjoyed uh, this weekend. You're too young to talk like that. I know, right? It's bad, but I got my hair cut today and there was an awful lot of grey in there. Mm. Uh, I would probably say Charlie because... Yeah, I like seeing Charlie do well, and it's nice seeing Ferrari back up at the top, and I think they've made a bit of progress. Mm, That's good. Matt, what's your thing of the weekend? Well, you know, you'd think it would be me saying Ocon gaining more places than anyone in the race and finishing eighth, along with Gasly third, team under attack. The fact of the matter is, I've always had a bit of a soft spot for Otmar. And at the risk of provoking a reaction, his quote that you can't get nine women pregnant and expect a baby next month when they asked him about being fired is pretty much my thing of the week. All right. Okay, good. I did not hear that quote. That, that's fantastic. So that leaves me with Oscar Piastri. Wow. I, I've, Oscar Piastri is taking the fight to his much more experienced teammate and he will be seeing Lando Norris as his first obstacle on the path to, to greatness. But this weekend, he's been giving us little clues. So Silverstone could have been a lot better for Piastri. This weekend, he has just basically yelled at F1, I'm here, mates. You can't ignore me now. And that's that's how he speaks, which is a flaw. But uh, it was a great weekend from Piastri. I'm, I'm now expecting great things. My expectations could not be higher. All right, let's be like, negative. Oh, no, you missed the apex. Who missed the apex for you, Christian Pedersen? Definitely Alpine. Uh, uh, the way they handle this during a it's weekend, uh, this ju- I mean, I'm amazed that you can have uh, companies at this level using this amount of money for this many years have so little insight into how not to do it. And uh, they, this could have been done in the summer break. Oh. So much easier earlier. I mean, the PR, I mean, it's just... I'm I'm a little bit shell-shocked by it, actually. It, it smacks of a fallout that just couldn't wait. That's what it smacks of, because it sounds like, you know, you know, Pat Fry was confirmed to have left for Williams, and then did 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 Otmar Schaffnauer and, and, and Alan Permain just go, do you know what, well, then we're off too, and just, like, throw the... It, it sounds like there was a heated battle. Lauren Rossi obviously left under heated circumstances. Alan Prost... 
openly comes out and says that Lauren Rossi is like the uh, the the what did he say? He said um, he's the biggest example of the Dunning Kruger effect mm. in F one. Like just fully out and just fully saying that about a guy who's still working at Renault. The whole thing is a disaster. They definitely they had a bad night out or something. You know they they couldn't uh, they couldn't agree how to split the bill or something. And they all <laughs> but don't just forget went, this no. is post Cyril Audible. Right. Oh my goodness! And we thought that's that, what they. Yeah. And we thought that was aggressive. Mm. It, it couldn't wait, much like how Piastri's driver announcement yeah. couldn't yeah. wait either. I love it because he also Prost also said something like um, his incompetence is only matched by his arrogance or something mm. like this. It's absolutely brilliant. And um, Omar also basically said, "Oh, this idea they're going to be winning races mm. in twenty six nonsense." Well, you, Chris it. Stevens, your uh, handsomeness is only matched by oh. your commentary talent. And people oh. should should go, have to say it. It's like a showbiz thing to pretend to be, you know, oh, Thanks, Chris, he's so brilliant. And then I slag you off behind your back. So, yeah, but you um, get to take the credit for this as well. So. Why? Because oh, because I've brought you on. Because I'm your podcast yeah. slightly older brother, as you often say. Yes, my podcasting dad. <laughs> no, that's so much older. God damn it. Okay, so follow okay, Chris at Chris on Racing. All his links are in the show notes below, even though I hate him now. Okay, so yeah, no, who no, missed I mean, the apex for you? Oh, right. So I have so many to choose from. Uh, but for me, it's going to be Haas. And uh, Matt's going to be upset. <laughs> That was mine, yes. Oh, dang it. I'm sorry, man. But I think literally the only thing I heard about Haas all weekend mm. is, oh, Hulkenberg hasn't made it to the line in time in qualifying, and then the same thing happened the day after. Uh, someone actually earlier in the chat said, how come you haven't mentioned Haas? And uh, yeah. one, of, one of our Danish patrons said, shh, don't tell them, <laughs> because they don't <laughs> want it mentioned. Uh, but yeah, they're underwhelming for sure at the moment and and it doesn't actually look that good for magnuson his contract is up at the end of the season and all the talk is of renewing holkenberg's contract i had to um write a report after the grand prix i looked at the championship standings i couldn't believe this kevin has not scored a point all season i couldn't believe this that's the end of my point. Dead silence. Trying to stall as well because <laughs> I know Matt. I can see the steam coming out of uh, Matt's head as he tries to think well, of a, how many has Hulkenberg scored. I mean, more than none. More than zero. <laughs> so, okay. More I than, don't know. Magnuson scored two points. Nonsense. What? Oh, the page that I was looking at was wrong. Then. So does that mean your report that you just submitted was wrong as well? No, no, no. Oh, okay. I didn't have that in it. But it was yeah. just. Uh, yeah. Look, uh, Magnuson is a dad with multiple kids and being a dad with multiple kids is terrible and very distracting. Same thing happened to Vettel. No massive surprise there. All right, cool. So, uh, Matt, who missed the apex for you? Nick DeVries. Oh, wait, Ah, that's not going to work, is it? Too soon. (laughs) No, I I think, honestly, if there's a team that underperformed, it would have to be Alfa Romeo. And I think as bad as Alfa Tauri is, I'm not convinced that they're all that much better. And I, the one shot they had was, was Hungary, and they blew it. And you can see it in the results here. They just they don't have the car. And they've had the whole season. And maybe it's you know where they're headed, and everyone's sort of already written this year off. But it was disappointing. I mean, at the mm. beginning of the race, Joe was, was trying, you know, like he was fighting with Ogon for that spot. And... Otas too was like looking like he might be in the points, but they don't have the car, and I don't think they're going to have the car, and that's a real disappointment because that's a team that should, I think, mm. be doing better. 
Well, a, a team that should be doing better gets my missed apex as well, which is um, Aston Martin. And, and I don't mean doing better developmentally. I think developmentally, they took a pretty good tactic, which was front load everything to the start of the season and hang on as long as they can. But for that pit call and sending Lance Stroll out when he didn't seem confident in changing conditions on slick tyres, uh, for obviously Stroll then ended up in a wall, which, yeah, it's not his fault as much as the, the pit crew. Uh, but Alonso also, you know, going in the wall. And really, they saved their weekend a little bit with uh, Alonso's result on the Sunday. But the whole weekend just seemed, you know, a little bit off. And as a midfield team, they are kind of, they're, they're underfueling for every race, it, it looks like. And, and it looks like they're sort of buttoning it. They're going for the alternate tactics, which is what you do from the midfield, not a team that is purportedly, you know, having ambitions to be fighting for world titles at some point. Excellent. Thank you very much, guys, for joining us. Uh, follow us uh, in the show notes below. So at MattPT55, at ChrisOnRacing. Uh, Christian's just noped out of social media again, but we'll bully him back onto it at some point. But we're all in our Patreon Slack group. Support us at patreon.com forward slash Apex. And wherever we see you next, work hard, be kind, and have fun. This was Missed Apex Podcast. <laughs>
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.